Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hello, First Gen Hunter Podcast listener. This is your conscience speaking to you. Deer season is rapidly approaching, and you haven't touched your bow since November. I highly suggest that you get outside and start flinging some arrows downrange, because you're probably not as good at it as you remember. Is that speaking to anyone? That's definitely speaking to me. I've already been out doing a little bit of shooting, but not enough. But one good thing I have done is I've taken my bow into the bow shop, got it freshly tuned, got a new drop away rest put on it. Yeah, I know. Mature bow hunter steps, right? That's like hitting a life goal there, getting off the old whisker biscuit and putting on a drop away rest. And, uh, you know, honestly, in talking about that, in fact, the guy that I have on this episode, we had a long conversation about this when I went to interview him. It may not make as big of a difference uh, in, you know, what I'm hoping to achieve. You know, I'll, I'll do some 3D shoots as invited, you know, but that's not really my, my big thing. I'm not like really looking to get into competition shooting or anything like that. I just want to be a really good bow hunter. And uh, I want to, my, my goal is to be eventually, I'm, I'm not there yet, not even close to there yet, but I want to be one of those guys who is automatic at 40 yards. Like if I can get out to 40 yards, I see a buck there. I got a clean shot. I want to be able to take that shot right now. I can't take that shot. So I went ahead and went with the drop away rest because I knew that um, my goal is eventually to become that proficient and having the equipment set up for that for the long run. I just figured it was probably a good investment right now while I was getting the other work done on my bow. That being said, I had to put a new side on. Um, if you remember clear back to some of the earliest episodes of this podcast, Brandon and I spent some time talking about how I had to uh, tap one of my uh, screws. I had to like get a, a screw extractor and pull it out of my sight because it was stripped out from uh, uh, being like over tightened into the site. Might've been my fault. Might've been the manufacturer's fault. Not really sure, but um uh, I got my bow back from the bow shop. I was shooting with it and I, I noticed something was loose or no, I, I think I, I loosened the screw, but when I did, uh, the, that thing had so much issues that it actually pulled away some of the metal inside of where, uh, the screw goes. And so that like housing lost some of its, uh, it's metal there so the screw didn't work anymore so i had to go back to the original three pin sight that i have that came with my bow and i gotta say i was in the back of my mind i always felt more comfortable using that sight but it's a three pin and uh i felt like i had upgraded to a five pin sight but i never just seemed to be able to shoot as consistently with that five pin sight 
as I felt like I was with the three pin. And so I'm counting this as a blessing because I put that three pin on there. I got my first pin set. I'm still doing some fine tuning on my second pin and right away I noticed a difference. So I'm pretty excited from a gear standpoint. You also might remember I got too big of a peep put on last year. So I had that size down to the correct size, which is a million times better as well. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to be getting out with great regularity. My goal is to get out at least five days a week. I haven't achieved that yet, but I'd like to, uh, as we're here, you know, wrapping up the first week of July, I think from here on out, that's, that's a reasonable goal. Get out uh, about five days a week if possible and uh, just be be shooting those arrows and not just doing the super calm stand there in your backyard in one you know pretty easy position i'm talking get some shots from a seated position get some shots out of a tree stand in the yard or at least an elevated position in the yard and really try and get ready for this upcoming bow season because i really want this to be the year i get my first bow tag notched so that's my goal now in doing that a big part of that not just the practice part but actually the part where you know you're using good equipment comes into play you got to do some research to find out what is going to be the best thing to use and i'll give you a little cheat code here lusk archery adventures on youtube go there and you can find all kinds of great information on different archer equipment now the 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 main thing the, the bread and butter for john is going to be his broadhead testing which is just you're not going to find a better channel for that anywhere it's very scientific in his approach for setting up his tests he has great footage uh, the videos are, are fun to watch. You can get stuck in a kind of a show hole for a while where you just kind of binge, which is great. And he also mixes in a lot of in the field testing, meaning he takes this stuff on actual hunts and he does a whole bunch and a whole variety of different hunts that he uh, uh, goes on to try this gear out. So that's who we're talking to today. I was lucky enough to be able to invite myself over to John's house. We live close to each other and um, get to meet him in person and record in his basement, see his trophy room. You can go on my Instagram account and see a video that I took of John's trophy room and it is outstanding. It's a museum and uh, not just in quantity of different species, but in quality of animals, just remarkable. And uh, I just feel uh, quite blessed, honestly, uh, for John allowing me to uh, you know, come and, and, and see what he has and, and meet him and, and spend it you know, a few hours in the afternoon with him when we recorded this. So I'm ex I've just been super excited to release this. John is, the, there's not a better guy in the industry. I think you're going to love it as much as I did recording it. Go over to Lusk Archery Adventures on YouTube, find him on Instagram, subscribe, follow along, interact with him. He's open for questions and fine tune that gear. And don't forget get out there and start practicing with that bow all right let's roll it here episode number 91 here on the first gen hunter podcast thank you so much for tuning in don't forget this show is made possible by our presenting sponsor spartan forge it's time to get that subscription so that you know how to hunt better when to hunt this upcoming deer season 
just about a year ago, the guy that I have on the other side of this podcast, and really this time I can say on the other side of the table from me, not just on the other side of the line, this is Mr. John Lusk from Lusk Archery Adventures. Probably, now this is, you know, maybe a biased opinion because John and I have become pretty good friends here, but uh, the best archery gear testing, archery equipment testing channel on YouTube and it's been growing rapidly. And uh, what's really interesting, though, is when I first interviewed John, right about a year ago, we were we were talking. Um, I was sitting in my basement. Mostly all of my earthly possessions were gone. I think I had a desk and uh, I had my computer. Internet was still hooked up at the house. But my family was moving. Fast forward a year later, I'm now in John's basement and I'm surrounded by all these incredible animals. You have to go on to, to my uh, Instagram channel, our Instagram page, to see uh, just what it looks like with all these impressive beasts uh, down here in uh, John's basement. And uh, really, it's one of the coolest podcasts I've done. This is going to be episode, we'll probably have a hunt therapy episode in between here, but this will probably be episode number 92. And of all those episodes, one of my all-time favorites was episode 60, the last time I talked to John. And, uh, of course, learning about what goes into his archery tests, you know, me nerding out a little bit as a science teacher, talking about uh, what, you know, control, variable, constants, all that, that goes into making a good scientific test. When I talked to John about the controversies surrounding African hunting, and he very calmly and expertly took us through the story as to what really goes into an African hunt. And my mind was put at ease for the first time in all the years that I've been enjoying hunting and following hunting and, and watching, you know, these, these big game uh, hunts that people were doing over in Africa and wondering, you know, is that really necessary? Is that, is, is that, is that something that, hunting should really be portraying and john just even keel went through laid down the facts which i do want to cover those again just because somebody might be tuning in they might not go take the time to go back to episode 60 and find that explanation but it's the best one i've ever heard on i've heard people justify a little bit in the past like okay yeah i see where you're going but the way john explained it from where the money goes who gets to eat the meat that was huge mm. what you get to bring back the whole story, you know, even what in some cases, what animals you're allowed to even harvest, you know, it's, it's part of their management plan. And really what it came down to too, was look, we got wild game that we have to manage here in North America. They got wild game that they have to manage there in Africa. And so that was probably as great as the rest of the interview was that part. I just felt like you shined, John. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm just, tickled to be here sitting amongst all your trophies he's got his cape buffalo right there behind him he's got the zebra up on the wall right behind him and i got a few uh i got an oryx here right next to me and yep. and uh it's just man i wish everyone listening in could just get is that a is that an antelope yeah that's a or a, uh, or a kudu impala impala okay mm -hmm. impala so there's a an impala that's a right there there's a kudu right yeah. there and uh i mean it's just it's a museum it, it really is. It's a testament to somebody who has adopted the hunting lifestyle. And I've heard people talk about that recently. They say hunting is a lifestyle. It's different from other hobbies in that, you know, you don't really build your identity around a lot of other things. But, but um, 
when it comes to hunting, I mean, the clothes we wear, the the conversations we have, who we gravitate towards in a crowded room, right? The guy who you see, you know, has got a Kuyu cap on or something like that, <laughs> it's right? That's true. That's where you're going to be working your way. I bet you that guy's got some stories, right? And and uh, it's just really cool to have this connection. So, John, thank you so much for allowing me to invite myself over to your house. To, uh, <laughs> I'm really grateful. I'm grateful to meet you. It's kind of the the DJ effect, you know, where you've talked That's on the right. phone, but then I get to meet you face to face. And yep. since you're here in Iowa as well, I appreciate you coming over. And it's an honor yeah. to be on the show I uh, again. That. I remember that very well a year ago. I was walking around talking <laughs> down here in this basement. And so it's funny for me to that now a year later yeah. you're here in my basement talking again yeah yeah and we're we're trying to work out some details we, maybe we can go bow fishing sometime or something oh, like that. yeah i do that a lot there we go so maybe we could we could work that out or something but it's so cool i you'll see me post this sometimes on instagram hunting brings people together mm. and uh i am just blown away by how many different contexts that statement has been true, you know, um, just for instance, getting ready to go on my bear hunt this spring there, you know, I was there with, with other people that weren't even going on the hunt, but were helping in some way, maybe through getting gear ready to go, maybe through, um, uh, one of my really closest friends who didn't go on the hunt with me. And we have, he's kind of a mutual friend between me and the guy who did go on the hunt. He helped spend a, a whole morning helping us sight in our rifles. And, and here we are now, you know, a year later sitting in person, just getting ready to enjoy a good, good hunting conversation. So that's, that's one thing. If you don't take anything else away from this conversation, people just remember that hunting brings people together. So if you're still on the fence about doing it, you're going to, it's going to open you up to a whole new community that for the most part is filled with really good people like John. Hmm. So, uh, uh, make sure you, you give it that consideration. Well, before we get charging off, which you're going to see in the title of this episode, I haven't titled it yet. That's one of my favorite things to do, by the way, John. Maybe, I don't know if you get that same enjoyment when you're titling your YouTube oh, videos. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. Like, or a sermon, I? like when I preach a <laughs> yeah, sermon. Yeah, go. that's right. Yeah, that's my one of my preaching professors used to say, brethren, you've worked so hard on the sermon, but you got to put a handle on it so people can take it with them. And <laughs> that's, that's the title. Point. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. I like that. That's a good illustration. So naming it will have something to do with bison or buffalo or something like that uh because john's going to tell us about this incredible i mean when when you and we'll get into this more but when you really think about hunting wildlife in north america what could be more iconic than the american bison so uh, we're going to get into that though but before we do we need an update on lusk archery adventures you're still rolling out the content uh mm -hmm. still i just a tremendous resource it's not even just a channel it's a resource right it's mm -hmm. it's a it's a, a a video library of how to go shopping how to be how to be a mindful archery equipment shopper mm -hmm. when you uh um you know get ready for a new hunting season uh we were kind of joking around about how both of us being hunting content producers, you know, there's, this is the kind of year where, where your listens and, and views and things can kind of lull a little bit because everyone's in fishing mode, family vacation mode, camping mode, whatever. Right. But then come September, it's <laughs> yeah. a mad dash. Okay. What do I need to buy? I need to get my bow ready to go. What do I need? What do I need? Right. And so, um, you know, that resource is is there for you to kind of bail you out in that situation it really does i've used it 
countless times to you know what should I buy. In fact, I was even texting John I think last year, and I mm-hmm. I narrowed it down to to two that are just a regular um, uh, top performer on his on his uh, channel, and uh, I bought them both. <laughs> there <laughs> you I, go, and kept both in my quiver <laughs> actually at the same time, just hmm. depending on the circumstance. But but um, first of all, I think since last year you've had a growth on your channel and thousands of subscribers oh yeah you're it's you're growing. you're reaching far more not and this is a hunting podcast so that's our focus but i i gotta say there's probably a fair amount of people on there they're just into archery competitive archery you know 3d tournaments and so forth but your reach has grown incredibly since and it was already a big reach before uh we met last year but i mean that's got to feel pretty good it does feel good i love seeing it grow i'm kind of a numbers guy you know just the way i'm wired but to see the views growing to i'm like closing in on 10 million views that's just cool to me and and to see the subscribers i'm i'm getting close to thirty thousand subscribers that's the next threshold for me then to see the the number of nations that if people have watched my videos it's like i mean it's like i think a hundred and 50 something like wow. it's i i got a, a message from a guy in sweden this morning at like three in the morning i got up <laughs> to go to the bathroom and I, I saw that little message and so i i opened it and he said it's illegal to bow hunt in our whole nation in sweden Whoa. and so we can't get much information and we don't know what to order so we found your channel me and a bunch of my buddies because we travel outside the country sure. to bow hunt and he goes you're providing a resource that we're really grateful for and helps us know what to order so we're not going in blind and yeah it made me feel good to think i'm helping this dude over in sweden to know what kind of broadhead to use yeah that is that is so i mean and yeah like you said it feels great i mean that's Mm -hmm. that's powerful to hear that Mm -hmm. and and i think that that's probably why a lot of people are you know they're drawn obviously there's the content there that nobody can you can't find it elsewhere but also you genuinely try to help uh mm-hmm. before we start recording john and i were, were talking a little bit about you know when you do this there's sponsorship is an opportunity when you produce this content right but um john said you know i've i've never really gone that route because i want mm-hmm. to remain uh basically unbiased is is and you get that when you watch the videos you you can tell that everyone gets gets a fair place in line to get tested and they get a fair review in the end and uh, i i gotta think that that's that genuineness that people see at least for me that's what keeps me coming back yeah i don't i don't get sponsored by anything that i test i have a sponsor from a stay sharp guide that does sharpening sure um sharpening broadheads like the, mm-hmm. which is incredible it was already my favorite sharpening system and then i become good friends with the owner but i don't test those so right. i i feel okay taking a oh, sponsor yeah, like that definitely. but i don't with broadheads because i don't want to be beholden to anybody and yep. i don't want to be exclusive with any broadhead i hunt with anything and as many different broadheads as i can you know whenever yep. they perform well but i i want to stay objective i think that's the beauty of it yep. that you how do you trust what you read on a package 
or even how do you trust what a buddy says? Because yeah. whatever they killed a buck with last year, that's the best broadhead yeah, on the market. Exactly. And that's their anecdotal evidence, you know, is one buck, you know, yeah. or, or if they missed or got a bad shot, they're like, that broadhead sucks. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> of that right. one story that's and right. that spread. So how do you know? That's and right. so many people that do these tests, they are sponsored. Like, you know, what's the best broadhead of the year? A number of those get paid to choose this broadhead as the broadhead of the year. Yeah. So I want it to be very objective, the test procedure, as well as just the overall philosophy, just just objective so the viewer can make a decision for themselves. Yeah. And and I think we can all sense that while we're watching, which is so important for doing something like that. I mean, even, you know, you think you're basically myth busters for, for our tree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We guys. talked about that yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah. yeah. And, and if, if myth busters was, if they were only testing myths that related to who they were getting money from, they'd lose all their credibility. <laughs> That's true. But yeah. How often does it come up? I bet it comes up for me at least three to five times a year in a conversation. Do myth busters test that out and prove <laughs> that to be false? Or Nobody would believe them if they, if they didn't have that like you said, objective side to how they did things and you do the exact same thing. And so we can know when we watch, this is, this is the real deal. This is how things really are represented uh, for this brand and we're a better consumer in the end. So, uh, I, and the other thing I like about that too is good companies get rewarded, right? So if you do put forward a good product and if you tune into John's channel, the chances are you're going to be giving your money to that company that deserves it instead yep. of somebody who's just, you know, bought the biggest or most pages in the magazine or longest commercial on the outdoor channel or whatever. So, uh, I think it's, I think it's great what you do. Thank you. Are you still having fun? I love it. I mean, I'm so into testing broadheads. That's kind of my bread and butter. I have like almost, maybe I have 300 videos now or almost 300 videos and probably 200 of them are, are close to 200 are broadhead tests. So sure. it, it does provide a good library. Like mm -hmm. you were saying earlier, you can type in on YouTube, you type in Lusk and any name of a broadhead. And if I've tested it, it'll come up. Yep. And so it's really good to be able to do your research. So again, you know what, you know, you can trust what you're hearing. At least I can provide some data points to help you make the decision. And so broadhead testing is my bread and butter, but then I like to test bows and, and other gear knocks or something. And I'll test anything from the really elite expensive stuff to the Amazon cheap special. Yes. And sometimes those things are surprising. Okay. Yes. Sometimes they do really good, but I just want to test a real cross section. Then probably a hundred videos are my own hunts. Mm -hmm. And I think that adds a credibility to it too. I'm not just testing in a lab, but I test it in the field. And every time I go on a hunt, I'll show what happens with the broadhead and how it performs. So I like that, that combination. I love to hunt. So I get, oh. Oh, to yeah. do that a lot. Yeah. And if you could be here in the basement with me, you would see that he loves the hunt. I, I bet, I bet <laughs> it's a little obsessive. There's, there's, there's probably, I don't know. Do, do you have 15 different species down here? Do you think, John? Um, I have like 30 different mounts. 30 I forget. I keep mounts. track of how many different species I've taken. with. It's got to be 15 at least, oh, yeah, a minimum, just in a quick glance. Yeah. Because I have like Maybe closer six to from 20. Africa. Yeah it's, yeah. it's probably over 20. Yeah, that's, it's just, it's incredible. John loves the hunt. And that's the other part as we, you know, kind of wrap up this section, talking about your channel here a little bit. And of course, we'll tell people how to find you at the end, but uh, it's not just some guy working away in his lab and then, well, this is, you know, 
this is how the sprout head works on a cinder block. And at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, but I don't shoot cinder blocks, right? You probably hear that all yeah, the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. But then John says, neither do I. And he goes out and he harvests the animal with those broadheads mm-hmm. and you get to see, okay, this is how this truly works. And you even, I would say you've even been good about booking hunts that give you lots of hunting opportunities so that you have that content to share, like going down and hunting hogs, you know, you can basically hunt as many hogs as you want down in Texas and you can try all kinds of different broadheads and, and, and get that experience. It's not just a, you know, well, I'm going to go on one whitetail hunt here this year and, and then I might travel out and hunt an, an elk and you get to see two hunts. No, there's, I don't know. Do you get maybe four different hunts in a year on average, do you suppose? Um, different. Yeah. Like I'll usually, I mean, I hunt turkeys Mm -hmm. here in Iowa. I usually get two turkeys with my bow and then I'll usually go on like a hog hunt at some point, Florida. Mm -hmm. I just went to Florida and that I shot six hogs in Florida. (laughs) Um, and then I'll do one or two like big hunts, like destination adventure bow hunts. And, uh, and I, so I plan those way in advance. Like I've already booked, um, in September, I'm going to Newfoundland for moose. Then yeah. next May, I'm going to Alaska for grizzly bear. Oh, I'm so excited about that <laughs> with my bow. So I'm, I'm starting to plan way in advance. And then, uh, of course, whitetail here in Iowa. Yep. I do a lot of that. And I like to shoot does. So, I, you know, I like the meat. So I, yep. do a, I get a lot of those animals too. I'm really fortunate to get to hunt. And the channel helps pay for these different hunts. And so, you know, the revenue from the ads on the channel, that's what makes a big difference. I could never afford as a, as a pastor, I could never (laughs) afford these international hunts, but through the channel I I can. And so it's a good deal. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, speaking of that, there's ministry through that too, right? There's all kinds of opportunities that come out of that for, for, uh, sharing, sharing truth and, and, uh, you know, sharing the gospel with people. So yeah, very, very good way of using your time and using your talents to, to something that kind of builds itself as you go. So yeah, all that to say, if you haven't yet subscribed to Lusk Archery Adventures, you need to, because you're missing out on all this good stuff and uh, uh, stuff that can truly make you better prepared in the woods, which um, that's the whole point of this podcast, right? Is to make you better prepared for when you walk out into to uh, that habitat. And uh, if you are a first-gen hunter, such as myself, that could be a pretty steep learning curve. And you can waste a lot of money on things that you either don't need or aren't all that great. And you got to go, you know, the whole, you know, uh, buy buy once, cry once type, <laughs> yeah. type deal. You know, yeah. sometimes you need to be able to to check, is this equipment going to really be worth it? John is one of those resources out there that you can count on to help prepare you for that. So Lusk Archery Adventures, make sure you look it up. And even like, uh, like John said, you can look up a certain type of broadhead type Lusk Archery, you know, X name for broadhead. And there's probably going to be a video there. (laughs) So, so uh, make sure that you do that. So, I'm going to ask you some favorites right now. Yeah. And this is, this is again, he, he's, he's not violating any sponsorships here because sure. he, he remains objective. What's your favorite mechanical head right now? Okay. Here, here we are sitting this many years into your channel. Uh-huh. How, well, let's ask this first. Do you have any idea how many different heads you've tested? Yeah, over 200. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that gives us a baseline here. Out of mm-hmm. 200, 
Your favorite mechanical head right now. Favorite mechanical bar none is a sever. And depending on the size of an animal, it could be a 1.5 inch. They call it sever 1.5 mm-hmm. or a 2.0, that which has a bigger cut. Sure. Um, so I, you know, base it on the animal. But, th- and, you know, I've used other mechanical heads and I'll, I'll continue to use other mechanical heads because mm-hmm. I like to test stuff in the field yep. if it performs well. And there are other good ones. I, I don't want to bash you know, any of them, uh, there's some really good ones, but nothing is as durable from what I've tested so far as the sever. It, mm-hmm. There may be something that comes out that's more durable. I, I would love that if there is, but I've shot a, a single sever mechanical into cinder block three times and it's still going strong. Wow. Cinder block. I mean, right in here, <laughs> I've shot it through steel plate five times, a 22 gauge steel plate, a mechanical through a steel plate five times. I mean, most mechanicals can't make it through once. Right. Occasionally there's one that can make it through once, maybe twice, five and, and yeah. still holding up. So I, you know, mechanicals, I worry about the durability more than anything. And most of them, it's a valid concern, but not with a sever. Yeah. So that's my number one. That's a powerful statement there because that's what everyone's going to say when you, you know, it's such a controversial debate, first of all, right? As soon as you tell your friend, oh, I think I'm going to use a mechanical this year. Oh, it's going to fold on you. It's going to fall apart. They're not durable. Well, you can watch the the year test videos for yourself. And that's actually what I ended up hunting with last year too, because of John's videos. So uh, that's, that's cool to hear you say it. Now, if, if you did go with a fixed blade head for whatever reason, what do you, what do you uh, take in there? Yeah, fixed, it's harder because there's so many really, really good ones. And it's unusual that the sever has so separated itself from the pack and durability. That's not the case with uh, fixed blade heads. Oh. So there's so many really top tier, top shelf heads. Which one would I use? It, it depends on the animal. And, you know, if it's really, uh, you know, the size of the animal, the shot distance, because mm-hmm. if it's a certain shot distance, like really far, I'm going to put a high priority on its flight. Yep. If it's a really big animal, it's a high priority on its, its penetration. Mm-hmm. If it's a small animal, high priority on its cut size. Mm-hmm. So it, it really depends on the broad, uh, on the hunting situation. And of course, everybody's individual setup. But for mine, there, I mean, there's several that I really like, like the Exodus. I consider that probably the best all round fixed blade, replaceable blade broadhead on the market. I mean, it is just, I've taken over 60 animals with those things and it continues to to test really well. I love Tooth of the Arrow. Man, Mm -hmm. they're like a one piece solid steel, everything made in America, mom and pop shop, and they perform extremely well. There's a new one that I just found. I love finding new ones. The Big Game 3. This is two brothers that own a machine shop and they're bow hunters (laughs) in Missouri. And they made a broadhead and and then they came out with the big game two. I'm testing that one right now. And uh, man, those are heavy. Like the big game three weighs 300 grains, <laughs> but it has a, a 1.8 inch cutting diameter sure. three blades. I mean, that thing is a beast. So I'm like, I want to use that on a turkey. Yeah. And, I, and I did and use it on a hog. And I did. So there, there's a number of really, really good ones. Bishop, 
probably that is probably the most durable head because the the hardness and the steel they use the S7 and the way it's designed the structural integrity and the iron will I love iron mm. wills and love that they came out with a single bevel again their tool steel their design so you know there's a lot of great choices when it comes to fixed blade yeah yeah and and I've heard a lot of good things about a lot of those blades you mentioned but that's cool about the three brothers and and that story there too and yeah two and, brothers yeah it, or two it's brothers. the big game okay. three but two brothers big yeah. game three, that's right <laughs> that's where I got the three but uh and then also some of these brands that you're mentioning they are just real small companies that you take or you can tell take a ton of pride in what they're making and uh, they're really careful about rolling new products out because they want to make sure they're up to the quality that they're known for on some of their you know first their first blade types that they've released and and uh you know what you get good customer service when you're working with a company like that too and and your dollars are staying you know maybe not locally but but you're helping other uh other countrymen out that are trying to you know work out the American dream here and, and set up a, a shop based on their passion. So pretty cool when those kinds of things align there, but mm, yeah, great list right. there to go off of it, yeah. it, You can uh, go see for yourself though. Again, go to Lusk Archery Adventures and type in some of these names that John just mentioned. Now here's one I want to ask you about both of us from Iowa, a lot of pride in our, our living here in what we like yeah. to call the whitetail state, yeah, right? That's right? But uh, expedition archery. Now, if I understand correctly, they started in one of the Dakotas, I think. Yeah. And then they moved to, I think they're in Decorah, That's Iowa, right. which they is are. one of the coolest places on the planet, everyone. That is a beautiful uh, place. Yes. I went trout fishing there recently. Yes, yeah. that is that is such an awesome place. Grizzly coolers are made there too, by the way, which oh, is which cool. is interesting. So kind of an outdoorsy place. Great trout fishing, like uh, John mentioned, but also a sleeper big buck county mm-hmm. um, up there. Those counties, um, Winnesheek and, and uh, I think, clay county might be up there and and uh there's one other one that's escaping my mind right now but there's a lot of big bucks taken up there too every year it seems but expedition archery there are only bow company based out of iowa is it do you like expedition do you i do i've i uh i tested them for a while there there was nowhere that sells them locally here sure at one point for one season archery field and sports which is kind of the dominant mm-hmm. shop here was carrying them but there wasn't a shop so i would drive about two and a half hours yeah. up north to a place called center i think it was center x or something like that archery mm-hmm. is a little shop and they carried expeditions so i would drive up there every year and test their new bows and i i really liked them like decora's a bit far it's it's yeah. almost twice that distance to get to decora so i haven't been out there though they've invited me out there but i really i really liked them i i didn't test them recently because of the drive like it just yeah, right. it was just a big drive and a lot of people it wasn't getting the views because a lot of people didn't know expedition right. so from a cost effective standpoint right. it just yeah, there wasn't business yeah decision. i gotta yeah. make a business but i really i like what they do and i i really enjoyed their bows and shooting their bows yeah yeah i've always been interested in them because of that connection to iowa and and, and you know just have, taking a lot of pride in what our state has to offer from a, a hunting standpoint and you know 
it's good to know that if you wanted to keep your dollars local there with an archery company, it'd be a good place to go. So yeah, they're definitely worth it. They're great bows to look at. That's 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 good to hear because I've always been curious about that. Okay, let's switch over to hunting here specifically for for uh, the remainder of our conversation. When we last recorded, I believe you had a the the like you mentioned earlier, your big hunt that was coming up. If I remember correctly, it was a caribou hunt. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was coming up at the end of the summer. So we talked in June a year ago. Yep. And then uh August, late August was a caribou hunt in Alaska. Just a DIY, me and some buddies going up there inside the arctic circle which is just man man, i i would look at where we're going on a map like on a globe and kind of get a little vertigo like i'm going (laughs) that high it's like the highest the farthest north you can go in like north america yeah it's like the, the highest road you can drive on and so i mean we're way inside the arctic circle so what a cool adventure. Fly into Fairbanks and drive like nine hours north to go up there on the Hall that Road where there's a pipeline. I mean, that's the only, and it's like, it was on a ice road truckers. It's like yeah. one of the most dangerous roads in the world. And <laughs> I drove up there alone. You know, I rented a truck oh, and, man. oh man, that was just, that was really cool. It was <clears throat> intimidating. And there was a really bad rainstorm and flood and the road was really rough and the water was rising in the river and i'm like man and i'm all alone you have no phone service and yeah yeah, it was it was a little intimidating but um unfortunately with the hunt the the whole big migration did not come through like it normally does so it was funny like you're on this road there's one road and it's bow hunting only for five miles on either side of the road which is really cool sure and you can look out about three miles away and see this whole herd of caribou. Yeah. But it's just barren. I mean, they're barren yeah, ground no caribou. Could... It's called barren ground for a reason. <laughs> it's barren. And so what they do is the hunters, especially the locals, because they can shoot like a bajillion of these things. I mean, they can they can hunt them year round in certain areas, but, but out of state, you can get one. And so during archery season, and so there's like the locals lined up in campers and they have spotting soaps and they just wait for them to come through and cross the road. And then when they start coming through, they'll just get behind a tuft of grass or a rock and, you know, just start wailing away. And so they were all up there and they're like, we've come this same week, every year, the same spot. And this is the first time they've not come through. And so, I mean, lucky us. Now some in our group shot smaller ones had opportunities at smaller ones, but I I wanted to get, you know, something decent, respectable and, um, just couldn't seal the deal on anything. So we did, man, I put a lot of boot mile. I mean, what do you call it? You know, a lot of miles. I mean, I just, I worked really hard at it, but just didn't run into them. So, but it was a cool adventure just to go up to Alaska and do that was really fun. That's awesome to hear. So is it, does it stay on your list for something you want to try and circle back to, or is it? That's a good question. Honestly, I wasn't that excited about the species for whatever reason. Some people, caribou's their species. Moose was my species. So I really wanted to get a moose and just couldn't afford it to to do it there. So we settled for caribou and we were thinking that's kind of a shoe in. You're going to get a caribou. I'm like, okay, I'll do a caribou. And they're good friends. I'm I'm hunting with uh, the Tap family. They used to have a show, uh, Young Wild. The guy, Lincoln Tap, is the youngest guy to ever complete the Super Slam. Matter of fact, he completed it 
a month after our hunt, wow. he went up and shot a polar bear. And wow. so that was the 29th big game animal in North America with a bow. And he did it at the age of 21. Wow. Like the previous record, I think was 35 years old. So <laughs> guys, I've learned so much from him. He's really impressive. But so it was fun to do that with him. Would I do it again? Maybe because I didn't seal the deal. And you know, it's, now it's kind of under my skin a right. little bit. But there's so many other species that are higher on my passion level. Sure. Before sure. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool to hear. And, it, you know, I, I've definitely done some of that before where you go and hunt in another state or whatever, and it doesn't quite work out. And you're just like, yeah, but I think I might be satisfied. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, well the, said. The experience that goes into it, you know, there's 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 some critters though like you mentioned the moose for you which actually happens to be my my ultimate dream hunt too is is to get up and get after a a big north american giant moose you yeah. know either in alaska or or probably more likely in canada just like you mentioned the, i think the expense is generally a little bit lower that way and there's there are some some strange rules though with that too in some of the provinces where you have to have like a resident guide i think uh i think i heard that was a rule in maybe alberta or something like that if you're gonna go on a moose hunt you gotta have a resident guide or something like that but but um yeah i mean just there there's some species that get under your skin you got to keep going till mm. you make it happen yeah but but caribou is also high on my list though too there, yeah and it's some... not expensive <laughs> and you can do that diy that's right yeah there was a learning curve that especially with gasoline, I would have to drive because you're basically driving this road yeah. and, and glassing from the road right. and you can get out and walk, but they see you. So it's better to glass from the road. But, but then you would run out of gas or you're going to run out of gas. So my buddies didn't tell me, bring a bunch of tanks of gas. Whereas all the other people that have done this before, yeah. they have strapped to the top of their truck, like 10 big giant things of gas. Right. Just, so to get gas, you got to drive a half a tank of gas to get gas. Oh, so round man. trip is a half a tank and you can go either far North to dead horse or, you know, a little bit down South and just other place. And so you're like counting the cost. You go, okay, I got to keep a half a tank to go get gas. Right. And then you can only fill it up and you lose, you know, a quarter coming back. Like, <laughs> so, so, and you're driving the whole time. So yeah, I did that. I, that was just, a learning. Next right. time I'm buying a bunch of tanks and I'm not going to have to fill up, you right, know, once right. I'm there. So no, yeah. that's, that's yeah. All those little details. And that's what I found when I just did my first Western hunt this last spring, bear hunting. It was, it was totally different than I had pictured in my head. Mm -hmm. There's a million little things like you, like you mentioned with that, or in that case, a really big thing mm -hmm. that you just learned what, once you're there and, and uh, it's just different than than you maybe envision before you go and on that, the hunt. That is what I like about adventure bow hunting. That I call right. it. You know, going to a different place. It's just it. It's stuff you didn't expect. There's stuff that's good you didn't expect, bad you didn't expect. Right. Like walking on the tundra. That was weird. It's like it looks like beautiful, you know, rolling, you sure. know, whatever. And you're just like, wow, I could walk way out there. And it's like, it's harder than walking on sand because really? it's just, it just it's squishy. In? It's not wet. It's just that squishy. Just yeah. Just and during that time it. of year, 
it's just squishy. Wow. And so it is very draining. Oh, it's hard yeah. to walk. Yeah. Things like that that are the adventure. Like I yep. love the, the the learning curve and the challenge. Love that. And just even the other critters you see too, you know. Oh, that yeah. Was, that was... I saw a grizzly bear. I saw a black wolf. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was cool. A black wolf. I never seen yeah. a black wolf. Yeah. That yeah, is... there was a lot of cool things that we saw. That's fascinating. Yeah. Very, very cool. And uh, um, I'm excited to see what happens with your uh, Newfoundland Moose Me too. Coming. I'm really excited. I'm going on this remote trophy hunt. It's in an area that you fly into uh, the the main area, and then you take another flight to the the main to another area, and then you take like a, a helicopter or float plane flight to the really remote area. Sure. And it's you and the guide in a tiny little ten by ten cabin in the middle of nowhere. And I'm hunting the first week of the season. That's their bow hunting only week sure. in this super remote area. So these things haven't been hunted in this vast area oh, for man. a year and no one out. They only hunt like one person a week. So it has very few people even during the season. Yeah. And so, man, I'm psyched about yeah, it. Yeah. That like, is, that is a yeah, dream for sure. Yeah. What an adventure. Yeah. It's going to be an adventure. Well, speaking of adventures, you didn't have to travel so far for this one, relatively speaking. Yeah, fact, that's right. It's, it's one of our neighboring states, Custer, South Dakota, loved right? Loved it. Yeah, I loved going there. You went? I you, went. So okay. You hunted an American bison. Yep. Now, can you can you just take us through this part here? Because everyone's probably wondering, how do you get a tag? Okay, for- yeah. Now, let me explain this because it, it's worth explaining. So, I I wanted to get a bison. I'm talking to my friend Lincoln, who's taken a bison, mm-hmm. and he's he's the guy that did complete the yep. Super Slam and done all this research for all these years while they did yep. it. And he said, "Listen, he goes, you have two two routes. He goes, if you're set on what's defined as free range, there's certain parks where you can go, yep. like in Custer National Park, and there's some Indian reservations. He goes, that's what I did because he wants to be certified in getting the super slam. Mm-hmm. He has to go to those places. And he said, but for my bison hunt, these things, I mean, they, they put out food and they you're in a, they put you in a blind and the thing just comes in like clockwork Mm -hmm. and you've paid an exorbitant amount for this animal that was no different, even probably easier to hunt than in a lot of big giant, like enclosures, enclosed areas. He goes, so are you set on, like, are you pursuing the super slam or something like that? And I said, no, I I don't really care about that. I don't, I don't report stuff to Pope and young and stuff like that. I just, I want the adventure. And then he said, my recommendation is find a really big open place that has a really good herd with a, that's a ranch and you know, that's challenging and that has cool terrain and go there. There's some in Texas, Arizona, South Dakota. So, in Custer, if you hunt in Custer National Park, very few tags. Then when you get a tag, you're paying thousands and thousands to be able to to buy that tag. And then it's in a park where the things have been really close to people. Yeah. And they in the in the the wardens like often go with you. And so it's like it's kind of anticlimactic right. from a hunt perspective. Right. So I researched all that and I go, I'm gonna go a different route. And I researched, I mean 
dozens and dozens all over the states. Yep. Like, where's a really cool sure. place to go? And so then I chose this place that's actually in Custer, South Dakota, but is this giant ranch. It's got like seven and a half miles of wow. fencing around this area. And it's had a herd that's been living in there for like 20 something years. And there's elk in there. There's deer. There's, I mean, all kinds sure. of different animals in there. So that's the route that I went. So in that case, you don't need a tag. And so how do you get a tag? You don't need a tag yeah. if it's in an enclosure. But don't get me wrong. It's not an enclosure like, okay, you drive up and you know right, shoot right, the animal right, out of your yep. truck. I mean, it's not that at all. It was extremely challenging to be able to get up on this one super old one that we did. Yeah. So that's, that's, and, that's and how it And you can see that in the video. Like you, you were stalking it like you were – any other wild critter. I mean, it was, oh, it yeah. was, I mean, it, you, it you was. had to know what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. It, it was a wild critter. And they'll often, if they see you, they'll charge you too. And so that's like, either they're going to skedaddle, you know, and they're gone or they can charge you. And they've had people go in there on four wheelers and get charged by the Whoa. bison. And so, yeah. So, but I wanted the, the oldest one in there. That's what I'm like, okay, I want just super old tough, you know, the, the baddest You're one. Right. And, and so to, to go for like one specific was really challenging. And finally we located it. I mean, we're like glassing all over and stuff and then the wind wasn't right. And so to get the wind right, and then it bedded down, I'm waiting in this one area mm -hmm. and it was like, it was moving. It was feeding really slowly and I'm ready. You can see in the video, but I'm like waiting on my knees, you yep. know, I'm going to ambush it. I'm like almost about to draw. And then it just never came. And so then, you know, we peek and like, dang it, it bedded down, but there's no way to get up on right. it. It's, you know, in the area. So to hike like way around and then go through this really thick stuff. And then I got up there and I'm in this dark, thick stuff. So it can't see in. It's in the bright sun right. and it's bedded down. I mean, it's like its eyes were closed, which was really cool. And it's about at that point, maybe 30 yards away, something, no, maybe like 40 yards away, sure. 50 yards away, something like that. <clears throat> but I didn't want to shoot it lying down because, you know, you can't get right. the vitals right and everything. So I'm just waiting for it to stand up, hoping it's going to turn broadside. Well, then it stands up. And I'm like, oh, after it waited there forever, I, I like really, I shook, you know, I had to edit that because <laughs> I like, I moved my GoPro camera and stuff. And, and so then it, it shook and then it just started walking right toward me. And I'm like, no, don't walk toward me. I'm like, I was getting really scared. I mean, this 1,800-pound animal is literally, it doesn't see me, but it's like walking in my direction, and it's getting closer and closer. And the guide is behind me, and he's filming like behind me to my left. He's in this really thick stuff, and I'm I'm like expecting at some point He's going to shoot it yeah. with a rifle or something. He had a backup rifle. And I'm like, I hope he doesn't do that. But I mean, because it's getting closer and it got to about, I mean, it looked like it was about 10 feet because it's so big, but it's about 20, about 20 yards. And I'm expecting, okay, turn, turn, turn. I thought it was going to turn to the left. It turned to the right and to the right. There's no room. Like it's going to turn into the brush. And so 
it turned and I had to pull off a really quick shot and I was really not ready for that. And then, but I, but it was a good shot. It, it hit a couple ribs. So the arrow penetrated enough to be lethal, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't know what happened. I mean, it couldn't see me. And that's the cool thing about bow hunting yeah. is it's not like a rifle and they just run it. Like it didn't know. So it, it circled around and then it just stood there at about 25 yards, 30 yards or something. And then I just drilled it and an arrow zipped right through. And that was like perfect shot. I mean, right behind the shoulders, it just zipped right through. And then it went about 10 yards on the top of this little snowy hill there was snow everywhere and it just started staggering and then it just like it just sat down and I was at full draw already I'm like I don't want it to get up and go away so I just put a third one right through it and then it just fell and it was it was it was kind of gross but kind of cool you know that like it just rolled on its back and it's its legs stuck straight up in the air and i mean it expired and first shot to the lat to it it was dead was under a minute i mean it just was it was dead in less than a minute which is the power of a well-placed arrow is just amazing so then to walk up on this massive beast estimated to be 19 20 years old wow i mean patriarch thing i don't know it it was really special it was a cool experience yeah that is that is so cool i can't even i can't even imagine that emotion you had to feel almost a scared excitement when you know you're that close to something i mean just what was it like a week or two ago a lady was killed and i think it was yellowstone oh yeah you know, I saw just by, by getting too close to a bison that's you know that's right just turned on her and just just like that you know killed her yeah and that's, yeah, and that's with a much more domesticated right yeah there. exactly yeah, yeah these yeah. are these are they're what used they, to yeah they're used to having yeah. cars you know uh-huh. 10 yards from them mm-hmm. and and uh to be that close to to a wild animal like that that's just and I mean, they're bigger. Whatever you think, how big they are when you're looking at one, because the hair, it's kind of like a fro, you know, an afro, yeah. like it makes your head look really. And they're already big, but then they look a lot bigger than a Cape buffalo, though they're not in body. Sure. But they look it because that, they're that just fluff, their hair yeah. is yeah that fluff and and their eyes are just giant. Man, it's like it, it's an experience. Yeah, yeah. So did you keep like the whole? hide off the the bison and i you know what i i debated so i'm i was wrestling like should i do like a rug uh with the head or should i do like a shoulder mount and i looked at you know you look online like what does it look like a rug and i thought i saw the rug and i'm like well where am i gonna put that like wife wouldn't be too keen on a big buffalo (laughs) you know bison rug in the living room so it'd be down here and i'm like i don't have any room for it and then if you're like walking you're gonna trip on the head like and you gotta have enough cape to do a shoulder mount like if you're gonna do a rug and a shoulder mount then you're only doing the back half like that that um that mountain goes you're just doing the back half and i didn't think that looked so cool so so anyway so i got a shoulder mount i they're still working on it it'll be a while um and it's going to be on a pedestal where it can it can turn so i can you know move put in a different area but i have this this cape buffalo here over my left shoulder i'm thinking of putting the american buffalo they're bison not a buffalo but putting the bison here over my right shoulder and it's going to look cool. Man, what a, what a crazy story. And you could tell in the video that was a physically demanding hunt, a lot of crawling around through the brush and stuff like that. And- it was a lot harder like that. Now that was one of the things I wanted. Cause I looked at a lot of the ranches 
and they're just, you know, thousands of acres, but flat open terrain. And that just didn't seem very fun to me. Sure. This one had like undulations and canyons sure. and trees and so stalking opportunities. That's why particularly I, I like this one. And so, man, it was like, you know, such a long stalk to get all the way, you know, yeah. all the way set up and then it, you know, failed stock and then to go around the other way and sit there waiting for it. So it, it, you know, was hours and hours and patience. And yeah, I, I love, I love stock, you know, sure. spot and stock is like my favorite, but to have that long of a stock on that individual animal and then wait for it to stand yeah, out that yeah. yeah it it didn't get any better and i mean the way it expired on the hill with the sun right behind it in the snow i mean it was just picture it perfect. was it was epic yeah. it was it was picture perfect yeah yeah such a great hunt and you can you can see this video again on lost archery adventures and and see how it goes down but but uh well yeah, yeah there's a picture of it hanging from this crane you know that you have to <laughs> yeah. use and i mean Leg to leg when it's hanging, it's like crazy tall, oh, like bet, yeah. over it's like 12 feet or something. Yes. And I have a freezer in there that's just full of <laughs> bison. So, I mean, I've been like plugging away. I'm not even making a dent yeah, in it, right. you know. I bought a freezer just for this oh, hunt yeah. to, to fill up and I got, I got meat for days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that is, that is such a cool story. How'd that feel, you know? One of the things, and I, I plan to address this. I don't know how yet. I need to like get in touch with a behavioral psychologist and bring him on the show. <laughs> we talk about it all the time. We talked about it once with Mark Norquist from Modern Carnivore. We've talked about it with others. Just um, usually it's a food conversation, right? You talk about our draw to wild game, you know, as as eaters, you know, carnivore, carnivorous, omnivorous humans. We, we like to eat meat. We have that deep connection there. But so what we're talking about here is an intangible thing. Did you sense like a, a different kind of, I don't know really how to describe, maybe an aura or something with, with you know, just this is special when you walked mm. up on that bison. Like this is, this is so American right now. Yeah, it was that. It's like, I mean, every animal is special. And, you know, you right. take a life, it's, there's a thrill to it. You know, a yes, I got it. But then there's also a soberness, right. like a yes. specialness that you go, wow, this is this life. And, you know, it's going to feed my family and, and so forth. Like it's, it's mixed emotions like that. But this one, and so everyone's unique. And, you you know, especially a destination hunt where you've dreamt about it for mm -hmm. years and years, decades, and then you're fulfilling it with a bow. I mean, that's cool. But the bison was unique and that it's just, it's iconic. Yeah. I mean, it is Americana at its best. I mean, I just picture dances yeah, with wolves, yeah, you know, yeah. you just picture the bison roaming the West and, you know, and they've always been honestly like relatively easy to hunt yeah. because they don't have any natural predators right. you know they're they're not afraid of a coyote you know right. when they're yeah. like a full-grown bison right. like that so they you know they're different from other species like that but but size image 
history, you know, all of that made it very special. Yeah. 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 That's, it, that's it what I was something. thinking of when, when I saw you there with that, just like what had to be going through John's mind when he was mm-hmm. sitting there next to that incredible animal and, and, and laying your hands on it for the first time. And, yeah. And, yeah. Just, and seeing the horns and you go, man, they're so thick and it's just mesmerizing. Yeah. Just looking at this thing close up yeah it's fascinating i know it's for a non-hunter it's weird you go well if you love the animal so much why'd you kill it you know and i get that but there is another part that it's it's i know it sounds crazy but there's a respect and an admiration for the animal and that's where the conservation side comes in as you were mentioning in africa and you know that people don't realize it but like there's more white-tailed deer in America now than when Christopher Columbus mm, came here. Yeah. And there's one reason, hunting. Yep. And so it's it's so counterintuitive to go, we hunt and therefore there's more animals. Right. <laughs> but it's because they regulate it through, you know, the, the wildlife and fisheries at, at each state level and the dollars that you spend on a license and the regulation of how, the quotas of how many can be killed, that allows more investment to go into protecting habitat, how to cure their diseases and circumvent diseases. And so the herds get healthier and healthier and there's more animals and more people can enjoy the beauty of the animal and more people can, can feed on them yeah. because of hunting right. and so it's it is really interesting the mix that there is to it yeah yeah very well said and and uh man just <laughs> once again though you, you that respect that you have for these animals when you do have that moment where you walk up on them and you know what a buffalo looks like you know what you know what a white-tailed deer looks like but when you have that personal hands-on moment that respect that you, whatever respect level you had before that, it just jumped up. I mean, before, oh, yeah. before John and I were recording this, he's like, we were saying, he's got probably 20 different species down here. You'd think that the white tailed deer wouldn't really fit in that, that to be that, that exciting here. What did we spend five minutes talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, so, so he has this white tail skull as an urban buck that he shot, which is just cool in of itself. Right. But it's got this goofy little part of its skull where it looks like this deer must've been hit by a car or something at some point and survived. And the, 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 the skull, you know, ossified in a weird way to, to where the antler was kind of sticking out weird you don't get that just from looking at pictures and, and what did we end that conversation say, man, they are the toughest animals, yeah. right? Yeah, that's they're, right. They're just, and, and when you, when you have that experience, like John's saying, it seems counterintuitive, you know, if you really loved it, why are you shooting it? But, but that is why we're shooting it because we mm. do love it and we want it. We want to have that closer interaction with it we want to know it better we want to study it we want to eat it we want to make it literally a part of us right yeah you are what you eat and and yeah and i i have a autoimmune disease and so i do much better having like non-gmo organic you know natural free range kind of meat like that and so i try to eat mostly if not all that and so there really is a you know a nutritional sustenance part of it for me and a lot of people who hunt like absolutely and you're just so much more in tune with what you're eating too you know you're you know who handled that animal 
you. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't like taking it to meat lockers where they they share it. Like you don't get right. your animal. I'm like, I don't know how that guy prepared it. Yeah, you know. Right. So I usually do my own processing, or I take it to a place that you're going to get your exactly. animal. You know? yep. Yep. Yeah, that's I important to me that. as well. You don't want to just go into a general pile and you get your weight back that you yeah, put yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, all of that goes into a hunt like this and 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 uh man i just can't even imagine the emotions you felt through that you can get an idea of them when you're watching the video a little bit but it's cool now to hear the commentary behind it so now at or going into the hunt the equipment that you were going in with so that's your thing that's your that's your uh yeah that's your avenue that that you dominate the scene on what did you choose for your setup to go hunt a bison. So we'll just kind of break it down to this, your arrow, you know, what was your arrow weight? Did you go with a heavy uh, FOC on that to try and, you know, go with what, what a lot of other people are talking about with, with penetration and so forth. Did you use a fix? Did you use a mechanical? What all did you go yeah, with? Yeah, That's a good question. And I did research that a lot and I'm so like, anal you know I, yeah. I, I like i'll stay up at night like okay you know what about this yeah. or what if this i just can't make a decision sometimes but um i did find this and i didn't know this about bison that they have one lung the lungs are are connected really so you don't you know most animals you want a double lung yeah. shot not a single lung but if you puncture one you've punctured both sure. and so that's it doesn't demand a pass-through though that helps like with blood trailing and stuff, but it doesn't demand that like other right. animals. So I thought that was interesting. It gave me a bit more confidence, but I want, I used my regular setup, which is 72 pound bow. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a 27 inch draw, which is pretty short, but you know, that's why I jack it up to 72 mm -hmm. pounds. And I used an extra heavy arrow, heavier than my normal whitetail arrow. So I use, well, I use the same shaft, but then I used um, a 200 grain broadhead as opposed to sure. 125 grain broadhead. And for that, I knew like the toughness of the broadhead would really matter. So I used a, a bishop archery arrow and a bishop archery broadhead. And FOC for that setup was like over 30%. Wow. I mean, it was like a really yeah. high FOC, which is just going to help with the, the flight as well as the penetration. And so, like I said, two of the shots were just complete pass-throughs, just zip wow. through. And that first one, I mean, it smacked this this rib and the ribs are really big oh, and bet, really yeah. thick. And, and, but, still, and but still it, you know, went through the lung. And actually it was funny because it from the angle, it looks like the shots were in different places. But once we were examining the animal, I could put a hand over all three shots. Like it was, it was that's, interesting. Yeah, like they were all group. actually, yeah, it was a great group from all these different angles. And so, you know, they were all equally lethal, but I did want extra durability and I wanted extra penetration. So, you know, you can keep the same weight, draw weight of your bow, same draw length, but by increasing the total mass, the total weight, it affects the momentum, right? Mass times velocity. And you increase the mass, but the, the velocity doesn't decrease proportionally. Sure. It decreases less. So you're increasing the momentum, the momentum, and the momentum is what affects the penetration more than anything. It's not kinetic energy. Some people go, well, what's the kinetic energy of your setup? That doesn't really matter. It's the momentum. Right. That's what that determines. Yeah, yeah it's, that's exactly right. You know that. And whereas, you know, a rifle, it's boom, it's the 
the yep. concussion of it. And so it's kinetic energy, but an arrow, it's penetration. So the momentum is that. So you, if you're going for a bigger animal by increasing that arrow weight, especially up front, you're really going to help in penetration. And that's what I did. Whereas like with this Cape Buffalo there, I was using like a 785 grain arrow. So another couple hundred grains oh, more sure. because they're much harder to penetrate. They have kind of overlapping ribs and oh, you might man. need to cut two ribs on wow. each side to penetrate. Yeah. From the, the way the angle works. And so, yeah. So with that, I used a, a heavier setup. Yeah. 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 That's, that's all fascinating to know that you get it down to a science, but you have to, if you're going to go pursue something like that with, with archery equipment, which can be even more deadly than a rifle, you know, that yeah, a yeah. well-placed arrow. I mean, you just think, you ask yourself that question, what would you rather have run through you, an arrow or a bullet? I think all of us would choose a bullet, you know, if we had to, <laughs> that there's just, there's, an arrow is a, is a stick, you know, it's, that's going through. But if you don't get it right, you know, then then uh, an arrow can be pretty ineffective. You don't have that momentum right, or you don't have the right shot placement. Or yes. yes, shot placement is just so important. I mean, I studied all the charts, like to know exactly mm, where the lungs there. and the heart on. I I'll do that with every species. You know, Cape Buffalo, every one of these. Yeah. Like, I mean, I want to see, and you can just you know you can Google that arrow placement kudu arrow placement bison and they'll they'll have a bunch of pictures and so i look at the diagrams and then they'll have actual animals mm -hmm. that they cut open then you're like oh i gotta avoid this and make sure you account for the hump you know sometimes people shoot too high because they have a hump yeah. and they aim for the middle and and, and you know to keep your cool when there's that big of an animal to where you're not just thinking hit the animal, but you're thinking, no, I got to hit that right, spot yeah. on the animal. That's going to bring it down fast. Cause if it goes and joins the herd, you're going to have trouble getting in there. You're not going to get in there to get it. Right. Like, I mean, they're just, they're going to be really protective. And so you got to put it down fast. So the, the, the setup, the weight, the penetration, the durability, the, the shot placement, all that really is a science yeah. and it makes a difference. Yeah. That's a great point too about the herding instinct. I never even thought of that, but that's absolutely true. If and they have a weird uh, thing that the herds, this is really bizarre with them, but when one of them goes down, okay, what happens with a turkey? If you shoot a Tom and there's another Tom in the area, I mean, they just start jumping yeah, on it. They're fighting right. it. They're, they're mating yeah, it. Yeah, like, right. You're like, what's up with that? I mean, they go crazy. Yeah. Like they're not compassionate all at right. all. Bison do the exact same thing. So if one of them is dead, bleeding, the others swarm it. And they're just like nudging it and stuff like that. And so you're really not going to be able to get right, into that right. mix. You don't want to get right. into that mix. Or if it's still alive, they're protecting it. So it's like it, you want to get yeah. that thing. You want to get it isolated and you want to get it down isolated and recover isolated. And that's not easy to do. Yeah. So a lot of homework going into a hunt like that. And and, and right. we can probably assume the same for a moose or, or like you said, some of the African species you chased after they're just. Even whitetail, honestly, a lot of people. They, they know it, but really when they get, they get excited, mm -hmm. they see an animal, they're just thinking, hit the deer. And there are so many deer that are wounded yeah. because they got hit, but they didn't get hit in the lungs. Right. And if you don't hit harder lungs, I mean, you're going to have a hard yeah, time, you know, and, and so a, or a single lung versus a double lung. And so making sure you have a broadhead that's going to penetrate to get both lungs and that waiting for the right angle of yes, the shot yep. and avoiding the shoulder. 
even whitetail, we owe it to the animal mm-hmm. to make sure our setup, our broadhead, the shot placement is all as as spot on as possible so we can recover it and 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 harvest it ethically and quickly. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. Yeah, all of that goes into hunting some amazing trophy like like an american bison and Hmm. and definitely the the guy to get it done and uh we're excited to see i'm excited to see the moose footage coming out yeah i can't wait i hope i get good footage i mean just going to a a province in canada that i've never been to and i've seen it i watch every video i'm googled like (laughs) newfoundland moose i mean i've watched every night before i go to bed i'll watch a different one some i repeat watching but i just i can't wait it's just it's a whole new adventure and then next year alaskan grizzly i mean i've already been thinking about it's actually a brown bear but the same species as grizzly different area but i'm you know just looking at videos videos like that and I just I'm at a point in my life empty nester and with the channel helping to pay for it I can do these things and I'm telling you man it's like a dream. oh yeah. Like, yeah I wish I could do it every week you know but I'm also a pastor so and I love helping people yeah. and love God and so I love doing that too but it provides just enough of a different angle to really kind of keep life fresh yeah. and I love that about hunting I love the thrill of the hunt yep and and that's easy to see when you watch or interact with uh, John. You, you you can tell that it's it's a it's a true passion. It's mm-hmm. yeah, and you know we we talked about it a little bit, but from a religious standpoint, you know, I believe God gives us these traits for a reason. Oh, you yeah. know, and I think so. and the, these interests and and. Uh, when you're wired a certain way, it's not just for hunting. There's a million things people like to do that, that they're good at and that, that they enjoy doing. And, uh, you just feel more yourself when you're, when you're able to partake in that. You feel like there's, when, when you're not doing that, you feel like there's this itch that's not scratched. You know, you like, you need to go do it. And, and, uh, you know, the great things that have been able to flow out of that from you doing that, I think is, you know, like we said, the bison is so iconic, you know, in America, hunting is like, kind of like it's it's in your spirit yeah. you know think of how many generations had to go yeah. kill their animals yep. you know to harvest animals and now you know people think oh hunting's cruel okay so is it less cruel to have an animal raised in horrible conditions yeah. they have no life and then they're just harvested wrapped in yeah. plastic injected with all kinds of hormones and stuff like yeah. that and you know, I, I look at that and paying someone else to do it for you. There's nothing like in your spirit that that values that. Right. But when you go out and do what man did in the beginning and for thousands of years, there's something really rewarding yeah. in it. It, it is a spiritual experience, Absolutely. I believe. Absolutely. And yeah. I'd even go a step further, you know, that not just the not just the conditions where animals are are not treated very well in those circumstances but even the ones where they are Mm. is it really you know a more ethical thing to have them kept in that confinement and or whatever and and one day just choose to walk out there and and a 22 between the eyes while they're looking right at you from two feet away and you know i'm not saying that's wrong but what i'm saying is it's not more right then that's that's right hunting or even nature honestly like people say hunting's cruel then you see a pack of wolves indiscriminately kill a bison right a pack of wolves kill kill a bison cruel things you can see and they and and not even eat it but just kill it right 
and it's just like, and and then they're, they're biting on it for like, yeah, there'll be a day you know, days, and they're just out because yeah, nature is cruel. Sometimes I look at that Instagram page, nature is yes. metal. You yes, look at that, that is, man, that's like it's good medicine. I love that. It's good it's medicine. Good. Like you just go nature is metal, <laughs> right. and what I do is a lot less cruel than that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Absolutely. It's a. I mean, to be truly free range your whole life, and then like that bison gone and in seconds and yeah. never yeah, never right. knew suffering you know yeah. that's yeah that's the that, that's that's the best way to treat a critter i think yeah i love to harvest an animal that's past its prime this by like i shot a, i shot a doe this year that had no teeth hmm. i mean it literally was down to the gums i've never shot one like yeah. that it it probably wouldn't have made it through the this winter and that bison was, I mean, it's its not going to make it much longer. This kudu was exactly the same. It was kind of scrawny because it just, it was way past its sure. time. That's what I love taking them out because one, that animal's really smart. Yeah, right. <laughs> it survived right. all this time. And then two, really, it's a its like they get to die having lived a, a, a happy life and they never went through the pain yep. of animals attacking them or they're slowly starving because they can't eat, right. like they can't chew. Like that's a horrible way to go. Yep. So they're going to go some way. I'd, I'd rather them go this way. I think it's, it's in some ways it's a kindness yeah. like that. Yep. I 100% agree with you. Yep, for sure. Well, as we close this one up, Got the moose coming up. Anything else big coming up on the channel or anything? That you know, I've got. I have. Okay, right now it's the end of June. I have videos already uploaded. Videos of, of broadhead tests uploaded, ready to post, scheduled through August, wow. and two a week for about half of those weeks. Like I, I just cranked. I did a <laughs> bunch, and so now I'm testing heads. Look at this. These are all the heads I'm yeah. testing. I got another dozen or so that I'm going to start working on. They'll go into September, October, and so there's going to be so many great broadhead tests, and hopefully, God willing, a moose hunt, and then all my deer hunts. Yeah, the, the between now, like really from July fourth, that's kind of the transition. Yeah. That's when the season really heats up. Like between then and the end of the year, the content is going to be off the charts. Yeah. So I really look forward. I, I'm to I'm excited it. to see it. I'm, and again, Thank I'm very you. excited for the moose hunt. I, th I think that'll be a lot of fun to yeah. follow. Along yeah, with I'll, I'll let you know. And, how and try it goes. and keep some stuff up on Instagram for us too. You know, along the way, if you get some service ever, yeah, just yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I should just, do that. Uh, just uh, give us a little teaser for what's coming. But yeah, I'm on. Instagram, Lusk Archery Adventures, yep. and Facebook, Lusk Archery Adventures, and then that's what it is on YouTube as well. Yeah, so make sure you follow Lusk Archery Adventures. Give them a follow on Instagram. It's great content, and it's it's great stuff that goes along. You know, he, he does a good job managing his page in a way that's like you're a true insider if you're watching the YouTube video. Then when you go to Instagram, you see like the little extra stuff that goes through. You get the context behind the post more than if you were somebody that wasn't watching the videos. So That's true. And then I really encourage people to ask questions. And I mean, I go through, I spend a couple hours a week just replying to every 
question or comment. Like, I, I really love helping people yeah, like that. Awesome. It's part of my ministry instinct, but I love it. So I welcome anybody asking any questions about any of the hunts or the broadheads or the bow tests or anything else that I do as well. Yeah, very generous. So Lusk Archery Adventures. Make sure you follow. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, send your questions over to John. Now, also getting ready for this upcoming hunting season, there's two guys you need to talk to. Uh, first, you need to talk to Alex Gruen, one of the frequent co-hosts on this podcast with his uh, service, his hunt planning service, I should say, at East to West Hunts. I uh, just got done uh, enjoying the hunt planning services of Alex and uh, me and my fellow first time bear hunter came back with a bear on our spot and stock Montana bear hunt. No easy feat there. And we certainly would not have been able to do that with out the help of Alex. So make sure you talk to Alex. Again, you can go to alexgruen.com. Use the promo code firstgen10. Save yourself a few bucks. Put them into some uh, better heads that you find over at uh, Lusk Archery Adventures on the YouTube channel there. And uh, the other big tool you need to have in your toolbox is Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is the presenting sponsor for this podcast. And Bill is the, I mean, you can't work harder than Bill does. Bill Thompson over at Spartan Forge. He's, there's other guys like Alex and John who work just as hard as, as him, but nobody works harder than Bill at Spartan Forge to give you the best product there for a deer behavior prediction app. And now the mapping and the landowner uh, uh, side of it, where you got that plat map information, so you can look up who do you need to talk to to get permission to hunt that really prime looking piece of uh, timber you drive by on your way to work every day. Uh, make sure you go there. And uh, from a deer behavior standpoint, I was just talking to my buddy Caleb, who also is on this show on occasion. Uh, he was saying, hey, we need to really be looking at Spartan Forge this fall for this one property that we're hoping to get permission to hunt. And uh, on on those, we, the conversation we had was on both the full range days and the core area days, this property would be just set up perfectly for that. And so uh, you can get that same information. And it's not just based off of some, you know, uh, ideas or things that a some guy who's hunted forever has noticed about deer hunting and and says yeah i think it's going to be this no this is truly science-backed data from deer radio collar data that's going to predict what these deer are doing helps you prioritize those days for when you need to get out and hunt so you're not away from home too often or uh, when you shouldn't be getting yourselves in all sorts of other kinds of trouble gives you a better chance at at filling your deer tag for this fall. So again, go to Spartan Forge, tell Bill I sent you there, and uh, enjoy a better deer season this year. Well, John, thank you so much for tuning in on this one, and uh, well, not tuning in, joining me, allowing me to yeah, come over. Thanks and visit. for coming yeah. over. And yeah, it's great to see and, you. And yeah, oh man, just uh, we got to do this again. And yeah, I'd and love to. Uh, maybe even do uh, a hunt together sometime. That'd be a lot of fun. That'd be great. But um, you know, just so cool to be here in the basement looking at all these different trophies through the years and and make sure you get on instagram you can see it for yourself i'm gonna post a video there of what all john has it's it's just truly it's it's a museum it really is and uh again make sure you follow him on his channels and uh enjoy the good content there well thank you everyone for tuning in thank you again john until next time take care and take someone hunting <laughs>